Thank you, worship team. You open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 25 through verse, we'll go through verse 2 of chapter 5. It's okay back there and throwing you Omaha back there. But Ephesians 4, verse 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. It says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. We are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Let's pray. Father, as we come together this morning, we come together as your people as your community. And I know, Lord, there's a very real part of us that as we go about our Christian life, uh, focus on um, just our connection with you and our relating with you, and it's so easy to forget that we're part of a one another, we're part of a community. And Lord, this morning I know that this message uh, um, might seem like it's not for us individually. But Lord, I know it is, and I know it's for us corporately. And so Holy Spirit, help us to see what we need to see, help us have ears to hear. Please cause us to set aside anything, any excuses, any obstacles or strongholds or distractions that would hinder us this morning in this moment from hearing you. It's your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. I had moved from a church in Wisconsin, which is right in the middle of Wisconsin. We moved south uh, to minister to a, a church there. And, and as you can imagine, I had a network of relationships for 20-something years that I moved away from. And so there was a funeral. I can't remember exactly how long, probably about a year after we moved, that I went back for. And at the reception after the funeral service, uh, uh, a friend of mine, we'd been friends for many years, and, and before we had left, there had been some tension between us, and, and apologies were, ext- were offered and uh, received, uh, or so I thought. And uh, this man came to me, and he said, I need to confess to you I've been bitter. I've been harboring resentment and anger towards you. Will you forgive me? That's a powerful moment. Because it's the impact of confession among brothers and sisters in Christ. 
It had locked this man up for about a year. He couldn't let go. I don't remember the issue. It was probably something I said, Mr. Foot and Mouth guy. I don't know exactly what it was, but he couldn't let go of it. And it eat him up. He was in a prison all his own for one year. And he didn't have that freedom until he confessed. There's confession. This is kind of how, when I hear this word confession in the community, uh, the, the weird chaotic mind of mine goes to hot sauce. If you've ever seen the hot, the hot sauce, it has a warning on it. It's just as dangerous stuff if you have too much of this. Well, I almost think confession is one of those things that this is hot sauce. This, this is tough stuff. And yet we need to ingest it. We need to have it a part of our Christian life. Cultivating community, authentic community, it takes honesty. It takes humility. It takes vulnerability. A growing, authentic community invites confession. There's two aspects, though, we need to talk about this morning. I'm not referring, although this is primarily confession to God, I'm not really referring to that. It all starts there, I get it. Psalm 51, our sin ultimately is against God. But what I'm talking about this morning, confession to each other and toward each other. There's a difference. Confession to each other admits that, you know what, I got some problems I'm really struggling with. And, and the way to get through them, the way to get out of this bondage, the way to work through all these strongholds is to confess it to you, to get that sin that's in the darkness out in the light. There needs to be confession to each other. Revealing one's sins to another feels extremely uncomfortable, right? I mean, hiding behind our secret sin, our self-righteousness, and that desire to look good have become so entrenched in us that instead of being sinners that we are, we lock ourselves behind a spiritual facade of our own making. And getting our sin out in the light through confession can unlock the bars that keep us bound up inside. This is where you and I find true healing. James 5.16, confess your sins one to another. You see, confession forces you to agree with God about your sin. And in confession, you see yourself as you are, desperately in need of a Savior. And in community, confession with one another rehearses that condition with a brother or sister. Together, you agree in your common need for Jesus Christ. And then prayer begins to acknowledge your condition before God and in front of your brother and sister, you make that acknowledgement. And together, you acknowledge that God alone, no man, no methods, are sufficient to make you whole. Prayer restores your relationship with God and with your brother and sister. And through prayer, we become one. We become true community. And so there needs to be confession to each other. It helps us find healing. There also needs to be confession toward each other, because there are those we sinned against. Going to another person we've hurt. It could be slander. It could be gossip. It could be disrespect. It could be anger. The list goes on. But demonstrating humility by not allowing our sin to hinder relationship with God or brother or sister 
needs to be a part of our walk with God. And so when we talk confession this morning, two aspects. Confession to each other and confession toward each other. I thought about what are some of the reasons we don't confess? What are some reasons we run from this? Well, first of all, I think we disconnect our so-called public lives and our private lives. We fear what people may think of us if we told them our secret thoughts, our greed, whatever that would be, or maybe our bitter spirit, our constant irritability. I mean, wouldn't we lose our respect? I mean, what if they found out we were sinners? Wouldn't it be horrible? Wouldn't it be horrible to do the, the very most difficult thing could be the most freeing, most healing thing? But we make a disconnect we shouldn't make. And closely connected to this is this idea of a misplaced fear. Tragically, we more greatly fear those with whom we have sin in common than the one whose presence is holiness. It's a misplaced fear. God is the one, ultimately, we should have that utmost respect and fear for in regard to sin, for he knows precisely and intimately all the dimensions of our sinful hearts. It's weird, though, that we fear those who can do nothing more than shame us rather than the one whom we will stand before one day. It's a misplaced fear. And it causes us to avoid confession. I also think there's a deficient understanding of what confession is. That maybe it's this idea of that it's optional. Or it's only if I sin the biggies. And so we don't really understand it. We have a deficient understanding. First John 1, 8 and 9, John asserts that the mark of genuine fellowship is not only one's recognition of the propensity to sin, but also the corresponding confession. James 5, 16, as I quoted, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You see, it's expected in the corporate body that there'd be times that we would need to confess one to another. And there's a deficient understanding of what confession is. And I would add, there's also excuses. Oh, how easy to excuse not confessing. But you don't know what that other person did. I mean, sure, I made it got a little angry, but... Or they were all in the wrong. I did nothing. There's no way to, I, I can justify my anger. Well, I mean, wouldn't you get angry in that situation? I mean, our excuses go on and on, and we avoid the very thing that would give us freedom. It's sad to think probably in our midst are those who've hung on to stuff for years. For years, you've never confessed it. You've never gone to the person. And say, you know what, I sinned against you 25 years ago. I never let it go. I've never been able to look you in the eyes since then. And in my heart, I would always cringe when I came because I knew there was something there that you've never confessed. And if you have trouble going to a brother or a sister and you start to avoid them, you might want to check what's going on here. What in my spirit is going on? Do I need to go and confess something? We all, at times, will need to. I also think there's this 
part of this deficient understanding is this balance that's needed in relationship to confession. You see, this word authentic, which is what we're trying to build, the word authentic means not false, not copied, but genuine, real. You could say it's the way it really is. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4.2. Paul says, since we have this ministry, verse 1, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. But what did they do instead? We've renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. There's this issue of truth that needs to be a part of confessing. We confess the truth. We tell the truth to each other. And sometimes we need to say hard things of truth to one another. Truth literally means non-concealment. Again, we're back to things as they really are. But there's another aspect to this confession, and it's love. 1 John 3.18 tells us that we're to love not just in word or speech, or not just in speech, but also in deed. There's not a disconnect involved here. And we're told to speak the truth in love. John 17.17, Jesus praying, he says, sanctify them, disciples, by your word, for your word is truth. Love sanctifies, or truth sanctifies. It literally cleans us up. Truth cleans us up. Love builds us up. Truth and love were never meant to be separated, ever. And in the absolute sense pertaining to God, truth without love is not truth. Because in God's character, they're never separated. And love without truth, love without truth is not love. Because ultimately in God, they're not separated. God's not sometimes loving and sometimes truthful. God's always loving, always truthful. They always interact. They're always married to each other. Always. And when you and I deal and confess and interact with one another in truth and love, we mirror the triune God. And our capacity to change and confess is directly related to our ability to see and accept the truth about ourselves with no excuses. We need to see the truth about ourselves. It really does start there. That may be the hardest thing for you and I to do. We also need to confess no, none of us knows the truth completely. That's a good thing to remind ourselves. And we cannot know the truth about ourselves by ourselves. The Spirit of God ultimately is the one who guides us into truth. And to be honest, there's other brothers and sisters sometimes who can say, I'm seeing something you're not. Like Nathan with David, you're the man. You're the, you're, you're the sinner. And sometimes we need others. We certainly always need the Holy Spirit because we don't always see and know the truth about ourselves by ourselves. Because sin hinders our ability to see ourselves as we really are. We can deceive ourselves. We need others with whom we can confess and speak truth and love. By truthing and love, if I can use that phrase, we practice the presence of Christ in our midst. Truth needs no protection. You don't need to apologize for truth. And love provides that safe environment 
for truth to be revealed in community. You see, we can confess in community because we all value truth, but love provides that safety, that warm incubator. And when it comes to confession in the community, it must be both truth and love. For our community is full of sinners, redemptive community full of sinners. And God, by the way, I mean, look throughout Scripture. He has allowed us to see sinners in every walk of life, in various time frames, in various situations. God hasn't hidden the fact there's a lot of sinners in here because there's a lot of sinners in here. God wants you and I not to forget it because if we forget we're sinners, we're forgetting we're in need of a Savior. If we forget we're sinners, we forget we're part of a redemptive community of sinners. Ephesians 4, 15, Speak the truth in love so that in all things we may grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Speak the truth in love. Make sure they're married together. Not only do we get that out of balance, there is a great need to renew confession in the community. Calvin Miller once wrote, Confession is the birth canal to courage. That's a wise saying. Listen, think about that. Confession is the birth canal to courage. I mean, when we learn to confess before God and one another, that takes guts. That's a literal, that's not my translation, to courage. It takes guts to be a confessional community, to be a community of forgiven saints gathered around a common confession of sin and the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. It takes courage to be that. By confessing our sin, the truthfulness of forgiveness becomes manifest. And in confession, the church embodies a living, sustaining reality, a commitment to a specific way, to a truth, and to a life. I find it interesting on Sunday mornings, and it's, it's unavoidable, um, but our, our, our chairs are all pointed one direction. And it's easy to live in community that way. All of us looking straight. But when it comes to being confessing community, God says, it's not really the way I want you to live. I want you to turn your chairs towards one another. I want you to look at each other. I want you to value each other. I want you to be real with one another. I want you to be the redemptive community I've created you to be that's authentic. And part of that is learning to confess to each other. We don't confess to each other all looking straight. We turn the chairs towards each other. That's where it only happens, is when we turn our chairs to each other. A spiritual community consists of people who have the transparency and the integrity to come clean. And if not just existing in a stagnant place, and it takes courage, I get it. Larry Crabb said this, everything in spiritual community is reversed from the world's order. It's our weakness, not our competence, that moves others. It's our sorrows, not our blessings, that break down the barriers of fear and shame that keep us apart. It's our admitted failures, not our paraded successes, 
that bind us together in hope. I like what he's saying. Renewing confession will take honesty. It will take humility. Certainly will take confidentiality. And it takes time together. Unfortunately, I fear, many Christians are horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. It can be easy to be shocked when someone is honest and vulnerable enough to look at us and say, my life's messed up. We're taken back a little because we're not used to dealing at that, dealing at that level. We're not used to interacting, being that vulnerable and that authentic, yet that's what God calls us to do and to be. An authentic community, a confessing community. Well, to whom do we confess? Well, just by way of review, we start with God. We confess there. We come to God through Jesus Christ, confess our sin, confess he's our Savior, confess we're unworthy for redemption, and we praise him. It starts with God. But Hebrews 12, 14, and 15, and Romans 12, 18, tell us of this next part. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it may be defiled. Romans 12, 18, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Now that word all, I'm not particularly fond of. I mean, it'd be better if it said some men, or maybe the people that are a little easier to get along with. Or the people maybe I trust to handle my confession. And then it throws another word in there. Pursue. That means go after. That means do everything you can to be at peace. You know what it doesn't say? Wait for the other person. Neither one of those verses say that. It's not I'm going to sit here and wait till the other person repents. Or I'm going to wait till they admit they're wrong. Then maybe... Because after all, they started it. How childish is that? I mean, it's easier to say to our kids, or when our kids say to one another, he started it. But when it becomes adult-like, it does reflect their immaturity, doesn't it? Maturity happens when we learn to confess, when we pursue it, when we take the initiative. It starts by confessing to God. It starts, and then it carries to confessing to all we have may offended. That could be private, often is. It also could be public. If all we've offended may be your family, maybe a group you're part of, small group, maybe the church. Scripture says there's times there needs to be public confession. And you say, well, I don't know, when would that be? Let me give you an example. And this is a youth group example, so teenagers pay attention. There was a kid in my youth group many years ago, he got caught shoplifting broke into a business, and stole some things. Got caught. It's in the paper. Everybody knows about it. And he was truly repentant. You could tell there was great sorrow. And he took that so serious. He asked me before a youth group meeting, he said, Matt, can I, can I say something for a minute? Now, I'm a little nervous about what's coming up. But I'm like, okay. 
He looked at that youth group and he said, please forgive me because I know what I did impacted you because people know I'm part of this youth group. That not only took guts, but I believe brought healing. And it was from a teenager among his peers. You don't hear that very often. Because sometimes our sin offends more than one person. And certainly, there's times, again, that's toward one another, and then there's times we confess to one another. Could be an accountability partner, could be a small group, could be a band of brothers or a band of sisters, whoever that would be. Maybe a prayer group you're part of, where you're like, I need to confess this, I need the accountability, I need freedom. And by the way, confess when you're made aware of the sin. Confess right away. Don't let it simmer. Don't let it get in the way of your relationship with God and with other people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this is so good. I certainly can't take credit for these words. Listen to what he says. In confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. And the more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him, and the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and the seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought into the light. The unexpressed must be openly spoken and acknowledged. All that is secret and hidden is manifest. And since the confession of sin is made in the presence of a Christian brother or sister, the last stronghold of self-justification is abandoned. The sinner surrenders. He gives up his heart to God and he finds forgiveness of all sin in the fellowship of Christ and his brother or sister. Now he stands in the fellowship of sinners who live by the grace of God in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. All Bonhoeffer is doing is once again expressing the significance of confession in the life of the community. Not only to one another, but toward one another. So let's get rubber meets the road stuff here. How do we have meaningful confession? How do we do it? How do we confess to and toward one another? Ultimately understand confession is applying the gospel to our lives. It's celebrating the gospel together. Confession to another celebrates Christ's forgiveness. It celebrates the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And confession to one another and towards one another guides us and guards us from absolving ourselves without true repentance. And this is certainly important if you're a parent or a leader. I mean, we confess, and when we confess, we admit something. We're sinners, we're fools. I almost titled this um, sermon a little different, a little goofy, How to Publicly Admit That You're an Idiot, but I decided that might not be the best title. But when we confess, we're acknowledging that. I'm a fool because I tend to play with sin. As a parent, that's a hard thing to do with your kids. And as a leader, it's a hard thing to do with those you lead, but we need to do it. We confess because we're in community, as I mentioned before. And we confess because we become a good example to our children, to those we lead, of what an authentic, not a mechanical life looks like. 
meaningful confession, whether it's public or private. Even, and by the way, this is a good plan in your confession to God. First of all, talk to everyone involved, everyone who you've offended. First, own the sin specifically. Own it. Maybe you want to write it out. That sometimes helps you to think a little more clearly. And we, when you reread it, you're like, oh, that was pretty lame. Or, no, that was really true. Own it. This is my log, you might need to say. I did this. I thought this. I said this. And whatever else may have happened, my part in the problem is this. I own it. I don't blame others. No excuses. I own it. Which comes to the second part. Confess the sin completely. Get it into the light. Expose the darkness. Again, maybe it's toward another or to another. Maybe you want to read through what you wrote. But confessing a sin completely goes something like this. When I did this, when I thought this, when I said whatever this was, I was wrong. Agree with God and others that you were wrong, that you sinned without qualifications, no ifs, ands, or buts. The power of sin has over us is if we don't confess. Maybe you responded in anger. Maybe you lied to somebody. Or maybe there's a stronghold within you. You might go to another one and say, you know what? My mouth is filthy. I swear. Often, it's become a hindrance. Or maybe behind closed doors, I've been drinking way too much. Or maybe you have a stronghold. You're like, there's some things I've really, we don't think of this one as sin, but gluttony. I've begun to turn to food to satisfy a real problem in my life. Own it and confess it, whether it's toward another or to another. Those who do not confess are alone. But when we're active in confession, we take care of the problems when they're small. So we own it, we confess it, and then we ask forgiveness humbly. Don't fake confessions. Own it, confess it, then ask. To God, to others, maybe to yourself, I'm wrong, I sinned, please forgive me. Repentance is not a feeling. It's not like, well, I don't feel like it. Well, so what? If we only went on our feelings, we'd never confess. Who wants to do that? Who wakes up in the morning and says, can't wait till I confess to somebody today? Nobody, because nobody feels like doing it. But the Christian life, we don't build on feelings. We do what's right. Godly sorrow recognizes sin for what it is. Ask, own it, confess it, ask for forgiveness humbly. You are not responsible for how other people respond. You like saying, you know what, I confessed it and they never said anything back. That's not the point. Maybe they're not ready. Doesn't matter. You need to do, pursue peace with all men. You need to confess it, ask for forgiveness, and then be quiet. Let it settle. The other person might not be quite ready. They might not chew on it. Their response has no bearing on your obedience. Ask forgiveness and be quiet. Don't try to explain how you've been hurt. Don't try to explain all the lessons you're learning, which there may be many. I trust there are. Ask forgiveness and then shut up. (laughs) You need to be quiet after that. You need to have that confession and that forgiveness be authentic. This is hard stuff. 
because it takes vulnerability. And begin to adjust your behavior immediately. Let your repentance, your changed mind, which is part of repentance, the direction and your actions speak for you. And to rebuild trust may take time. But begin to adjust your behavior immediately. And that passage I read at the beginning underscores all this. That there are no perfect Christians or perfect church. We are all desperately in need of God's grace. So reconciliation is key. Reconciliation builds strong character and deeper fellowship. Authentic community is a confessing community to one another and toward one another. We need to individually, it starts there, but corporately build the type of community that says we recognize we're full of sinners. We recognize this community is so dependent upon the grace of God or we wouldn't even be here. And that together we come to the cross on level ground and neither one of us claims elitist or superiority over anybody else. And part of that is we invite a confessing, authentic, real attitude. And we don't sniper each other or shoot one another. We embrace each other and come alongside each other and say, we're going to walk this through. It might be hard. It might take time. But we're going to get through this. That's what a confessing community does. So inviting confession, whether public or private, both to each other and toward each other, this is really a big deal. Because there's three things I think are at stake of why we need to be a confessing community. One is it's Christ-glorifying. It glorifies God when his children obey him. When they model the harmony within the Trinity. Simply, biblical confession glorifies God. That should be enough. But there's other reasons. Being a biblical confessing community, it's character forming. Confession humility is required, and that's huge in our spiritual maturity. Jesus is not looking for super Christians. He's looking for real ones. Authentic followers. Not followers with capes, but followers on their knees. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for real and authentic followers. Confession builds character. The third thing, third reason we need to be a confessing community is it's community building. It deepens the community of the saints. It grows us to become more authentic and more real. When we keep accounts short, when we confess to and towards one another, it's Christ glorifying, it's character forming, and it's community building. Let's pray. As you sit here this morning, maybe you have squirmed a little because God has brought to your mind a face or faces, a person or persons who you know you sinned against and you've never confessed it to them. Maybe your thought process is, well, they were all in the wrong and 
But meanwhile, bitterness has settled. And resentment and anger. Evidenced by the fact that you can no longer look at them or you become agitated hearing their name or whatever it would be. And the Holy Spirit this morning is saying, that's enough. The Holy Spirit's saying, I want you to be real. To come clean. Maybe this morning you're battling a secret sin. Could be anger. Could be that very bitterness. Could be drunkenness or something that holds you in bondage right now. Maybe nobody knows it. But the Holy Spirit's telling you right now, you need to find a brother or sister. You need to confess your sin to them. Bring it out into the light so you can find healing and hope. That's what really God wants in your life. Healing and hope. And Before God right now, I want to allow you a moment to confess it and bring it out in the open before God. At least as far as your perspective. Ask him for the strength to maybe pick up the phone this afternoon or go knock on a door. To do the right thing, the hard thing, the courageous thing. Let me allow you those moments right now. Lord, I know you truly desire us to be real and authentic. And Lord, I know that when we are those things, when we do pursue peace with all men and women, Lord, when we confess our sins to each other and towards one another, that it glorifies you. Ultimately, Lord, that's what we want to be. And that's what we want to do to live to the praise and glory of your name. Because of that, it's in your name we pray. Amen.